my family and I are just so excited to be here. Um, we got in just fine on Friday and unloaded, and we're still unpacking. And so um, continue to pray for us as we transition. But it's exciting to be here. My kids have been talking about coming to Akron all week long. And, and I've, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago they were talking about it even then. And so we're, we're really just excited about being here and looking forward to getting to know more of the church family and meeting more people in the community. And it's, it's just great to be here in the Lord's house of God's people. And so I want to have you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to begin in verse 153. 153. There's uh, 22 stanzas in this uh, psalm. We're only going to handle one. And there are eight verses each in each stanza. It's a song that was broken up in those, uh, in those fragments according to the Hebrew alphabet. And we're going to be looking at verses 153 through 160. You know, um, you guys don't know much about us. Uh, you know a good bit, enough to call me as your pastor, but you don't know a whole lot about Crystal. Some of you heard that she grew up in France. Her parents were missionaries. And when she was a toddler... She was there in France, and her parents were still learning French. And uh, you may not know this about Crystal, but she uh, struggles with asthma, especially when she was a child. Josiah does struggle with asthma as well. And uh, when Crystal was there in France, she had a really severe asthma attack, and I think it happened several times. But on this one occasion, her dad took her to the, ho- uh, to the doctor, and the doctor prescribed this cough medicine because her cough was so severe. And being the good American he was, he just, you know, he did just like what we did. Um, he gave her the cough medicine to swallow. And, and the problem was that m- most of that medicine had alcohol in it. And uh, Crystal started act, getting lightheaded. And uh, she started, you know, staggering in her walk as a toddler. And uh, he, they went ahead and went across the street and asked one of the neighbors there in the village in France they were living in, what does this say? And it says to gargle the cuffs or not swallow it. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands that parents have messed up in their kids' medication or have you done something like that. I hope you've never intoxicated one of your children. Um, I want you to know that uh, Crystal has been off the bottle ever since. And so... uh, no, but we, uh, when she told me that story uh, a while back, it was hilarious, but I hope I never do that to one of my kids. Uh, but how important it is to apply words correctly. <laughs> I mean, we, we use words all the time to communicate with one another, but when you don't use a word correctly or you misunderstand a word and you misapply it, sometimes it can be embarrassing and then downright dangerous. And uh, that's exactly what happened with uh, Crystal's dad, as he misinterpreted that word as he was still learning French. And uh, this uh, section in Psalm 119 that we're going to be studying this morning, has to, it's a prayer. It's a prayer for personal revival. And we use that word revival a lot of times. And uh, when I have studied the Word of God, and I've studied the word revival in the Word of God, it doesn't happen as often as you think, but when it does happen, it, it, its definition didn't come across the same way I learned it growing up. You know, I'm from the South, I'm from South Carolina, and we had revival meetings all the time. 
we'd have these big, um, you know, you think about the revival meetings that, I'm not sure if you guys have had revival meetings here, but a revival, usually at a church, the sign out there, it's inviting everyone from the community. What is it? It's like several meetings during the week. You got a special speaker comes in and uh, it's been a joke about evangelists. I, I don't pick on evangelists. I, I enjoy evangelists. But I've heard this joke about some evangelists that would come to revival meetings. They wear the same coat and, you know, a different tie each night, you know. And so these, these special speakers that come in, and they're gifted men of God, and they're delivering the Word of God in a very powerful way and, and you know, in a different way than maybe you would be used to with the pastor that you hear every week. So that's really great. Uh, those meetings also sometimes have special um, emphasis, like they'll have uh, they'll have special music, you'll have like specials like what Amy did, and uh, you'll have like even choirs and stuff like that. And those things are great because it makes it very special and kind of different from the other services at the church. Um, some other things with the revival is. I hope that this is always the case. This has always been the case with the revival meetings I've gone to, is this a soul-winning emphasis. I mean, they are preaching the gospel every meeting so that people know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, it doesn't matter what color you are, what background you're from, if you came to church growing up or not, that God loves you and He wants to save you from the penalty of sin. And I mean, that is the greatest message that should be preached. And, it, and that's the emphasis a lot of times in the revival meetings, what we call, quote-unquote, revival meetings. And then they have special guests. They have special guests. They have a big push to invite, you know, they have a pack of pew night. So they'll have like the whole, you know, your family sits on one pew. And some families in this town probably take up half of our pews, you know, half of our auditorium because all the families that are represented in this town. But, you know, that, that's a really cool emphasis. Invite your um, civil leader, like a mayor or a senator or representative. You know, those kind of nights. A school night where you invite all the kids from the school. All these emphasis are great. Friend night. And uh, these all are great. Uh, but this is what we typically, at least I have. I'm not sure about out west. But typically where I'm from, we call those revival meetings. But when we read uh, this psalm, we... In verses 153 through 160, we don't really don't get an evangelistic emphasis. It's more of something being revived that had spiritual life before. Not something that was spiritually dead. You think about evangelistic meetings, and they are good, and I want to have evangelistic meetings. I want to, inv- I want to have evangelistic meetings and invite people from Akron and the surrounding communities to come and hear the gospel. I hope we can do that uh, in the future. But uh, when, when the time is right and the Lord leads that way. But you think about the people that come to revival meetings. First, you got unbelievers. And they didn't come to revival. They didn't come to a revival meeting to be revived because they're, according to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're spiritually dead. You can't revive something that was, is dead. You revive something that was alive before. So they're spiritually lost. They don't need revival, they need regeneration what the Bible calls regeneration. They need to be born again. And that's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he was talking to uh, Nicodemus, that ye must be born again. Don't marvel at this, that ye must be born again. And it just bewildered him. It's like, what are you talking about? You have to be born, not physically, but you have to be born from above, from God. It's not something, a work of the flesh. It's not a ritual you take part in in church. 
It's by faith accepting God's sacrifice uh, of Christ for your sin. So the lost must be born again. Another group of people that might be at a revival service. Maybe a backslidden Christian. People debate whether they lose their salvation or not. I don't believe they do. I believe that there is such a thing as a backslidden believer. But what do they need? Do they need revival? Maybe. But mostly they need reconciliation They with God. They've come and they have this burden of sin. Whatever past life they have, they've come to the meetings and they're searching for to fill this God-sized void. You know, where God saved them from their sin, but they're, they've kind of, you know, walked away from God. And they want, they want something spiritual. They're looking for something. They're looking to be whole, you know, to be right with God again, to have fellowship with God. And this backslidden believer, it's not that they don't have spiritual life. They just need to confess their sin to God and seek reconciliation. I'm so thankful for 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Write that down if you don't have it memorized already and look at it. It says, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess means to agree with God about your sin. If we would just, when we are backslidden or we are tolerating sin in our life and we're convicted by it, we just need to go to the Lord Jesus in prayer. And say, God, you know, Lord Jesus, you're right. Your word says this is sin. I agree with it. Please forgive me and please cleanse me from this sin. Give me victory over this sin. But you know what? There's another group of people that come to revival meetings, and that's you and me. If you just normal Christians that are trying to serve the Lord, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not um, lost. They're not backslidden. They're trying to serve Christ. But you know what? They're discouraged. (laughs) You know, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. And sometimes they struggle physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. You know, as they're trying to serve Christ and trying to obey the Word of God. And you know what? Every Christian gets discouraged sometimes. And if you get discouraged, don't think that you are a bad Christian because you're struggling with your circumstances that you're living in. You know, it's all right to come to the Lord and say, I need revival. That's not something that a lot of us are readily to admit. But you know what? This preacher needs revival on a daily basis. And and according to the Word of God, you need revival. If you know the Lord is your personal Savior, you need revival on a daily basis. Because we do face afflictions in life and we do struggle in the christian race and every christian gets tired sometimes and we need god to renew our faith we need god to replenish our life and to restore our strength these are different aspects of revival and so the problem that the author of psalm 119 is addressing here is that a lot of times we see the need for revival outside these four walls. But the truth is, we need revival right here. We need revival from Almighty God. We are weak. We're insufficient to do spiritual things that God has called us to do. And we need Him to be working in our life. And we should never be ashamed to admit that we need personal revival. It's just part of being human. And this prayer encourages us to pray for personal revival. And it talks about how you should pray for it. 
And that's what we're going to be studying today. This is the 20th stanza of Psalm 119. And it's broken up into three sections with the phrase, quicken me. Quicken me means to revive me. That's what that word means. That phrase means. And if you look at verse 154, the, the psalmist prays, plead my cause, deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. Look at verse 156. Quicken me according to thy judgments. And then the third section in verse 159, quicken me according to thy loving kindness. These are all in parallel, and that's how they write in Hebrew poetry. This is a parallelism that was structured from Almighty God to divide this psalm into these three equal parts. And what God is trying to get across to us with these different parallel parallelism is first of all he says quicken me according to thy word okay that's pretty easy but quicken me according to thy judgments the word judgments is actually a hebrew word that was a synonym for the word of god we're going to talk a little bit about that these are all synonyms and then according to thy loving kindness or thy faithfulness which i was going to get to later but i'll go ahead and say it now in regards to god's word and the true the truth that the psalmist is getting across in this these eight verses right here is it's not the means that God brings personal revival to you and to me is His written Word. You know, when God brings personal revival, it's not through a fancy preacher. It's not through a special feeling we get in a service. But it is the Word of God that is preached and proclaimed. The truth of God Almighty God Almighty's Word, written Word that He has given us. And if you are discouraged today and you're seeking revival or you're seeking salvation or you're seeking to get right with God, go to His written Word. It has the solution. It is the key to revival. God brings revival by using His written Word. And what does the psalmist specifically request in prayer? He requests first for endurance from the Word of God, encouragement from the Word of God, and then excitement from the Word of God. I'm going to explain that a little bit in just a minute, uh, in a couple, actually in the next half hour, if I can get through this. How should you pray for God, or pray to God for revival? Pray for endurance. In verses 153 and 154, the Word of God says, Consider mine affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget thy law. Plead my case, or my cause, and deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. God's word will help you endure affliction. There are going to be times that you are in over your head. There is times that it just seems like there's nothing to hold on to, to. But the word of God tells us there is someone you can hold on to. And that's God Almighty and his written word. And you can hold on to His promises that are mentioned in His Word and put your confidence in them. The phrase in verse 154, quicken me according to thy word, is important. Because there are several words that were used in the Hebrew language for the Word of God. Even that are translated in the King James Version word. One is imrah and the other one is davar. Davar is more of speaking the Word of God. And that would have been a prophet that would have done that. But the word that's used here in verse 154 is imra. And that is the content of the word. Not the communication of it, but
but the content of the word. And that's exactly how it's used. And what the psalmist is getting at here is quicken me, revive me according to the contents of your word. And you think about the contents of God's word are his promises, are his promises. An example of that is in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Last time we were here, Crystal shared this as a promise that God used in her life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises in that verse. You know, when Crystal had Josiah, she had some complications. He's our oldest son. And she had to have up to six surgeries within that year of giving birth to him. And in one of those surgeries, she, um, they, they, it was in her bowel system, and so her GI tract, and actually her bowel kinked uh, after a surgery. And they didn't know exactly what was wrong. She was, uh, I won't go into great detail, but she was very sick, and, they, and she was high fever. They didn't know exactly what was going on. They had to do exploratory surgery. But I remember being in that hospital room, and people were coming to visit us, and I'm in Bible college, and and I'm like, what, 22, 20, probably like 24, something like that, you know, and we've been married for two years. We're there in that, I'm in there in that hospital room with Crystal, and she has fallen asleep with the medicine they gave her, and she's still, all this is going on, you know, and, and, and they haven't done the exploratory surgery. And the doctors are like, we don't know what's going on, but if we don't get it soon, she could die, you know. And uh, I was there by myself. Crystal fell asleep, and I just went into the bathroom that they always have there in the hospital rooms. I just cried out to God, and I said, God, you said that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, and it looks like my wife might die, you know. And I was very upset, and it was a time of very great discouragement, and I called out to the Lord, Lord, intervene. Lord, deliver Crystal. Deliver my wife. We, I don't want to be left as a widower with my one son, you know, and I love her. And God did intervene, and they did find out what was wrong, and they fixed it, and she had several surgeries after that even. But, you know, we have times like that where we just have to call out, and we have to say, Lord, you said this in your word. Now revive me. Intervene. Uh, renew my strength in this situation. And the psalmist prays specifically in these two verses. He says, verse 153, Consider mine affliction. Oh God, consider this situation I'm in. How, how should you pray when you're praying for personal revival? Ask God to consider your situation. Does He know it? Of course He does. But express your dependence on Him. God, You know my affliction. Please consider it. And then he also prays, in verse 153, and deliver me, save me, rescue me from this situation. That's not a bad prayer to pray. When you're sick and you're going through a trial, it's not a sin to say, Lord, you know, will you please remove this from me? He may not. It may not be his timing, may not be his will, but it's okay to pray those kind of things. You know, deliver me, consider my affliction. But then he also prayed, he also uh, said, for I do not forget thy law. He's saying, I, I take heed to your word. Why, you know, this affliction I'm going through, whether it's a physical one, I think he was going more through a persecution 
as a godly, a, a man of God, this person who wrote this psalm was dealing with persecution, some uh, hatred, some mistreatment uh, from others. But he prays, you know, vindicate me. I'm innocent. I've actually taken heed to your word. And so plead my cause. And then he says at the end of verse, um, verse in the middle of verse 154, deliver me again. And this is a different word. You would be uh, familiar with the concept if you've read the book of Ruth before. Uh, but the book of Ruth talks about a kinsman redeemer. And Ruth, if you remember, lost her husband. And, uh, and her mother-in-law, she lost her husband. And so they were traveling together back to um, her homeland, to Naomi's homeland. And they were going to die. If they, I mean, they were just kind of scrounging around for leftovers in the fields. But Boaz, a kinsman, a relative of Naomi, according to the Jewish law, intervened. And of course he loved Ruth, but he intervened and he married her for the sole purpose of trying to take care of her and take responsibility for her and Naomi. And uh, that's exactly what the word is here, deliver me. It's talking about take ownership of me, lay claim of me. Take responsibility, Lord, intervene and take responsibility for this situation. I need you to intervene and help me. So if you look at verses 153 and 154, they're basically praying, Lord, help me to take another step based on your promises, you know, to keep following you. And then uh, the second section of how to pray for personal revival is not only to pray for endurance, but also to pray for encouragement. Verses 155 and 156. The Word of God says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Greater thy tender mercies, O Lord, quicken me according to thy judgments. The second phrase there, quicken me according to thy judgments, is uh, talking about God's written judgments in his word. And examples of uh, example of uh, judgments that are discouraging would be Job. <laughs> you think about Job and his friends. What did they do when they came to Job? They judged him. And what does human judgment sometimes do? And most of the times does it. Most of the time it's wrong. Because it judges the outer man and it doesn't judge the heart. You know, it tries to judge the heart, but it can't see the heart. And so it's totally off base. And we see Job's friends that come to him in his time of affliction. And he was facing a trial that God allowed to happen to actually bring glory to God Almighty. And his friends came and discouraged him. And says, the reason why you're sick, Job, and you have this disease, the reason why your children die is because you must have sinned against God. I mean, is that what you want to hear when you're going through an ailment? No. Uh, but we see here that it really revealed their character, that they were self-righteous, and that their love for Job was very conditional. But when we consider the judgments of God, uh, it also reveals his character as well. The judgments that are written in God's word describe and demonstrate his righteous standards. You think about the Ten Commandments. Those are not the judgments of God, but that is his standard. And his judgments against Sodom and, his, against Sodom and Gomorrah, Jerusalem, Israel, and other nations for their um, rejection of his word and of his, um, of his prophets 
we see the judgment of God against them because of they rejected his righteous standards and actions. See, when we talk about the judgments of God, we're thinking about his character and the fact that God is always right and will always do what is right. And he demonstrates his character. And we see in verses 155, in verse 155, it talks about his dealings with the wicked. See, God deals right with the wicked. Some people think that God, you know, sets up the wicked to go to hell, but he doesn't. He actually deals right with them. He gives them an opportunity for salvation. Uh, God wants to change the wicked people in Akron and in Colorado and all around the world. And he and he's given them a free will, but they choose to destroy their own lives. And we see this in verse 155. It says, salvation is far from the wicked. Why? For they seek not thy statutes. That's what they choose to do. Salvation is far from the wicked. Salvation, God's help, is out of reach of the wicked because they make it out of reach. Is God, is it impossible for God to go against their will? No. God can go against their will and do that. But he chooses not to. He gives them a free will to choose to seek his statutes or not. And see, God wants to save the wicked, but they reject him. God wants to guide the wicked to himself, and that's why he gave his written word, so they can know the plan of salvation, so they can see their own sinfulness and seek for a Savior. But they seek not his statutes. And that word statutes is talking about the definite and permanent commands that God has written in his holy word. They reject that. But then God is also dealing right with his own people, the righteous. And I'm so sorry about my cold today. I'm almost over it. It's, I'm better than any day this last week. Uh, verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. We see here that God will faithfully help his people live for him. And God's mercies are described as abundant or great because they are very many. And in God's mercies are tender. It shows his compassion, his tender affection toward you and me. And so for you and me, it's an encouragement that God will encourage you as much as you know who he is. And that's why it's so uh, important for you and me as we consider the judgments of God. The only way you're going to know who God is and know his character is to study his word and study who he is. Get to know your Savior. Get to know the one who saved you from your sins. And how do you do that? You have to read and study His Word. And I know that sometimes that is a labor and you're like, well, isn't that what I come on Sunday morning for? To learn about God? Well, I hope so. But God wants to have a personal, ongoing relationship with you. He, he made you in His own very image. He wants to save you by His very own grace. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And he wants to make you a new creature that lives for him. And that is developed. And he wants to renew your mind and change your life from the inside out. And that comes through a personal relationship with him. God's word does reveal his commands. It reveals his salvation plan. But it also reveals his character. And my question to you is, are you getting to know your God? The prayer here that the psalmist is praying is, Lord, revive me according to your character. That in this affliction that I'm going through, that I'm looking to your judgments and I'm revived 
by the God I serve that He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. And I believe His promises because He, I believe He is true and will not lie. And then the third part of that prayer is not only pray for endurance and pray for... Um, but also pray for excitement. Excuse me. Verses 157 to verse 160. It says, Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Here he is uh, asking the Lord to quicken him according to his loving kindness. And the word loving kindness in the Hebrew is uh, actually conveys a faithful love. It's a faithfulness that God, and God is faithful to love. God's love isn't uh, conditional. It's unconditional. It is faithful. And scripture testifies of his very faithfulness. But we see here that the psalmist, as he is looking and considering and holding on to God's love for him, it actually ignites a love and a boldness in his own heart. He uh, beholds the transgressors. And he is grieved because they're not keeping his word. I mean, God's love is contagious. And the only reason we love him is because he first loved us. And because He loved us, it changes our heart. And we see this with the psalmist in verses 157 and 158. We see that the psalmist rejects the unfaithfulness of others. That he has this boldness because he loves his God. That he is going to, he loves God so much for loving Him that he's going to uphold his righteous standards. And he rejects the unfaithfulness of others. He doesn't reject them but he, re, and he rejects their unfaithfulness. We see in verse 157, he was grieved because they kept not his word. Because, uh, and he was talking about how they, you know, he versus them, has, he has not declined from the testimonies, the written testimonies in God's holy word. He has held to and contended for the faith. Why? Because he loved God Almighty. It gave him this boldness to stand up for his faith. And then in verses 159 and 160, he reaffirmed his trust in God's Word. He says, Consider how I love thy precepts, God. Quicken me according to thy Word, according to thy loving kindness. And then he just makes this statement, Thy Word is true from the beginning. And every one of my righteous judgments, of thy righteous judgments, endureth forever. Your word's never going to change, God. And I, I'm going to bank my soul on your written word. And I'm going to take a stand for you. And I'm going to be emboldened because of what I have, the love that I have learned about and I have experienced because of your written word. When you pray for revival, pray for God to use his word to bring revival to your heart, to really reignite you. When I was a teenager, I got to go on a youth retreat. I was actually in college at this point. I got to go up to West Virginia. And they do things a little different up there uh, in West Virginia than we do in the rest of the country. And uh, we went up there for a youth retreat. And it was like we went to this person's house, and then they had this huge 
slope because it's all mountainous, you know. And we go up to this huge slope, and then it flattened out, and they had porta potties and all that stuff up there. And we set up our tents, girls on this side, guys on this side. And, I, and then in the middle, they took a bunch of dead trees and they kind of s- assembled them in TP style, you know, like a Indian TP. And and so they set this up and we're gonna have this bonfire now. People in West Virginia, they may do this out here. I don't know, but they they put gasoline on their start their fires. So they're out there and they're dosing it with gasoline. And I'm scared to death. I mean, what's gonna? I mean. Well, I, I've never seen this before. I'm from refined South Carolina. It's not, I'm just joking. But anyway, they, uh, but they, they, they uh, put, put all this wood up together. They doused the wood with gasoline and threw a match. It's enormous. I mean, these trees were like eight to nine feet tall. So, I mean, this is a huge teepee, you know, huge bonfires. We're going to be roasting some good marshmallows once it dies down. And so anyway, it, yeah, you don't even get near it. So yeah, it dies down after the evangelist preaches at our retreat. And uh, we go and we're roasting marshmallows and the fire's starting to die down. The embers are getting, you know, they're still glowing in the dark when the wind's going by every once in a while. But the, the fire's kind of getting a little cold and we're not able to roast some marshmallows as, as well as we can. So my pastor... Pastor Armstrong, we were at his parents' house, and his dad, he comes out, and he gets this leaf blower. And he pulls this leaf blower out, and he revs it up. And he blows that leaf blower. It was actually not just him. It was a couple other guys, and they're hitting it from both direct, you know, several directions. They come, and they use those leaf blowers, and the wind and the gust of that air just ignited that fire again. And it was just amazing. That they could do it with those leaf blowers. Never seen it that way before. Uh, but anyway, they did it. That I was just scared of them bringing the gasoline out again. Uh, but anyway, they 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 uh, got those leaf blowers and it just ignited this thing that was starting to smoke and die out. And you know, the same is true with you and me. Sometimes our flame, our drive for God, is going to wane. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to be uh, burdened, heavy laden, and you know, we just need God to take His Word and just stoke the fire, you know, to bring, to bring like those leaf blower and just ignite us so that we're on fire for Him. And how does He do that? He does it through His written Word. It's not through a special feeling. It's not by going to another person. It's not by going to this specialist. It's not by going to the preacher in and of himself, but it's going to the Word of God and allowing God to bring personal revival in your life through His written Word. Let me ask you, how are you doing this week? Maybe you've had a really discouraging week. Maybe you, maybe you need to get right with God because of some sin that you've been kind of holding back and concealing from everyone else. I encourage you to get right with the Lord. You know, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. I want you to know that God loves you. He wants to save you from the penalty of sin. There's coming a day that those who have rejected 
God's gift of eternal life will be cast into the lake of fire. May it not be one of us today. But if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, accept Him today. But for most of us, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you need revival just like everybody else. We are weak. We are insufficient to live the Christian life in and of ourselves. We need God to revive us on a daily basis. Are you allowing God to do that? Is God using His Word to revive you? I hope He's doing that today. I want to encourage you. If you're like me and you need revival, pray for these three things. Pray for God to use His Word to cause your faith to endure. To cause your faith to be encouraged. And for your faith to get excited about serving Him. I'm so excited about being here at First Baptist Church of Akron. I know that God worked all the details out and made it very clear that it was His will. But I'm just excited about seeing people saved. I'm excited about seeing us come together and walking together in unity and walking and following Christ together. And the only way we can do that is, is if we're allowing God to revive us personally on a daily basis. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we had to consider your word. And Oh, Lord, we just thank you that your word is true, that it's forever settled in the heavens, that it doesn't change from one culture to the next, that the application, uh, even though the culture is a little different, the application, the principles are still the same as when these verses were written in Psalm 119. Help us, Lord, to respond to your word, and as the Holy Spirit has taken your word and applied it to our hearts today. If there's one that needs to make a decision of salvation, pray that you'll give them the courage to come forward during our time of invitation, that someone can, uh, uh, man with a man, woman with a woman, can just go uh, talk to them, share them, share the word of God with them, and show them how they can be saved. Someone needs to get right with you, they don't need to confess sin to me. They need to talk to you. I just pray that they would use this time of invitation to just settle accounts with you. To just uh, recommit their lives to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, if we've fallen into the sin of everybody needs revival but me, Lord, please forgive us. Please help us to see ourselves as you see us. People that are saved by grace. That we're still sinners saved by grace. And that we need revival on a daily basis. Lord, just reignite us if we've grown cold. And if we're following you, just continue to strengthen us to endure, to be encouraged and get excited about spiritual things that you have for us ahead. We pray you'll work in our time of invitation. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.